Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you right here on this Monday night, joined by co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, on YouTube, Read and Reaction, as well, and Twitter. At Will Miles, SEC. Will, we got that ever-elusive SEC victory over Missouri. <laughs> hey, it's a win over Missouri. That didn't happen last year, right? So, uh, maybe I should have you know, said ever-elusive win versus Missouri as well. <laughs> yeah, well, so we, we talked about last week a little bit tug-in-cheek that, you know, it was progress to beat Eastern Washington the way they did because we didn't have that same kind of success against Sanford. And now a seven-point win against Missouri that quite honestly could have been mm-hmm. much, much more significant than it was in a couple of different places in the game. Though some interesting stats the other way as well, depending upon how you want to take it, yeah. especially when you look at Florida's offensive performance. So, um, look, I think that's one where you say, all right, Anthony Richardson wasn't great, but the team still sort of figured out a way to get it done. And we said last week specifically that, uh, you know, that was going to be one of the tests for Anthony Richardson was when you don't have it, are you going to be able to get it done? Are you going to be able to lead the team to victory? And, you know, last year I think this team loses that game, and this year they end up pulling it out. And Billy Napier continues his streak of never losing in one-score games and uh, or at least rarely losing in one-score games. And, uh, you know, eventually that, that, that rabbit foot's going to run out. <laughs> He's going to have to start winning some games by more than five or six points. But, uh, you know, I'll take it while we can get it. Absolutely. So we'll get into it right here, uh, talking about basically uh, Billy Napier, of course, the Monday press conference. We'll hear from Princely, uh, you men me yelling as well. Uh, and just some discussion, of course, about where Florida is, 4-2 and two right now, uh, and kind of it could be better, it could be worse. We'll hear Billy Napier's thoughts on that. Of course, Billy Napier, after watching some film the last couple of days, 
some of those thoughts on third and long. I know that's been a big, big bugaboo and a big topic the last couple of days. Certainly, we'll get into that and uh, some quarterback talk with Anthony Richardson, his performance, uh, and moving forward as well. So hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really, really helps us out here on the YouTube version. It's not that hard. Like, subscribe. That's all we ask here on Gators Breakdown. And check us out on Gators Breakdown Plus. Get access to that Discord server. Really good conversation going on today. Uh, we're just kind of the offense and the, and the defense. Kind of A lot of people finally get their own little film review in uh, the last couple of days. So a lot of good discussion going on on the Discord uh, on Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description. So all right, let's hear from Billy Napier and his thoughts. Kind of a, an assessment of the team uh, right now. With the Gators sitting at 4-2, and two, look, they could be 6-0 and oh right now. They could be 1-5 right now. Let's get Billy Napier's thoughts on that. It's a great assessment of where we're at, you know. So I think um, there's a lot of days you wake up and you're, you're thinking, man, I'm glad we're four and two, you know. Uh, but you also think about the potential and the, we're a very capable team. Uh, we've been in the fight every single week. Um, I heard um, a guy, a coach, say one time that you're always, you're, you're always really close to being a very good team and you're always really close to being a very bad team. Uh, and that describes our team in a lot of ways, right? I think we, where we're at, um, you know, I think that we, we have a very capable group, right? Um, what I'm hopeful that we see here is we start to minimize error a little bit better. We start to be more efficient. We start to believe a little bit more. Um, I think our practice habits are improving. Um, I think that the chemistry and the morale of the group is improving. Um, so, you know, where there's no easy outs in this league, we got a tough slate ahead of us. Complete focus uh, on this LSU game and what we need to do to position the team to win this one. Will, tough stretch coming up, Billy Napier. I mean, everything all, kind of right there all really kind of goes to consistency <laughs> for this team right now. As we said, the record could be all over the place for the Gators, anywhere from 1-5 and five to 6-0. and oh, They sit right there at 4-2. and two. Uh, probably where a lot of people expected Florida to be. And we'll, of course, next week we'll be able to get into kind of – Florida is at the halfway point right now, but the bye week usually is right in the middle of the season for Florida before the Georgia week. So we can kind of do mid-year review at that point. But kind of right there where Florida is, yes, we do know um, even even with the struggles that this team could have a little bit better record uh, than, than where they stand right now. Uh, but as Billy Napier kind of just detailed there, there's just kind of many reasons why, you know, Florida sits at 4-2 and two and not 6-0 and oh and not 1-5. and five. Yeah, I mean, I love the description he used there of capable group, which is, <laughs> which is sort of like, well, you know, they might actually be able to do it, but also sort of a backhanded compliment. That's the kind of thing you... <laughs> That's the kind of thing you say to your kid who's like the one who can't get the right answer in school. It's like he's capable. Yeah. Like the rest of them are all getting straight A's, but he's capable. And kind of, you know, kind of also right. kind of that statement. Uh, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of that, right? I mean, I, I think the turnovers have been very disappointing. Yeah. I think the inconsistency has been very disappointing. I think you know, even you look at the first half against Missouri, not just Anthony Richardson, but the entire running game was just awful in the first half. I think they had like nine rushes for 15 yards or something in that first half, you know, couldn't stay on the field from the offensive side of the ball. And even when they, now granted there was the pick six there that sort of took them off, you know, rapidly, but, 
you know, or took them out two consecutive series. But still, I mean, they they were outplayed considerably in the first half, and somehow it was tied ten to ten. Though I think there were a couple of times where they had an opportunity to put their foot on Missouri's throat and just didn't do it. And you know, Napier I think wanted to wanted to emphasize physicality against Missouri. You could see that he was mm-hmm. running the ball or throwing short screens on. You know, behind the sticks a lot there in the first, second, and even in the third quarter. It wasn't until they had those two touchdown drives that finally things started to open up on the ground, but then also in the air. I mean, the throw down to Shorter was really a nice a nice throw that he wasn't able to bring in. Um, Richardson made a couple of nice plays with his legs, and, and all of a sudden you, you're up two touchdowns. So, um, you know, th- this was one of those where it was really frustrating when you watched it because it just didn't feel like they could put anything together. It was it was two good plays and then a terrible play. And that, ter- you know, you'd have a big run by Montreal Johnson. You'd run for like eight yards, and then all of a sudden the guy get caught six yards in the backfield, and you're sitting there third and eight at the 40-yard line and going, geez, if we don't get a completion here, it, we're going to be attempting a 50-yard field goal. And they did that a couple of times and missed them, right? So And we'll um, go, go until you put – and finally a good punt return, and you can't follow that up. Yeah, well, that one actually, the the play was open to Henderson, but uh-huh. um, I, I still don't like that play. That little swing pass, just it requires precision that this team does not have. And and you know, I get it. You're you're just going to keep running it, and you're going to tell them they have to build the precision. But um, but that to me is one where you go, all right, like I, I guess, but I don't like the play calls there. Same thing with Etn when they ran him into the line of scrimmage on third and four when they were at Missouri's, I think thirty one. And was that after you know, his big run. Like, the play yeah, right after lo- it, yeah, yeah, and then he loses a yard, and and uh, you know, so then they're sitting there fourth and five, and they decide not to go for it. Mahalik comes out, and misses the fifty-yard field goal. Um, yeah, you know, there were there were just there were a lot of points they left on the board, not just from the missed field goals, but opportunities where you're sitting there going, okay, this is this is a like take a shot. You're deep in their territory after a punt return. Take a shot. They never did. You kind of kept waiting for them to try to stretch Missouri a little bit, and it didn't feel like they did that very much, but. Uh, yeah, you know, look, I mean, 66 pass yards. I don't know how much confidence you have in your quarterback after the, after that kind of performance. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there, there's things to build on, absolutely. And, and you know, he's saying capable because he means it, right? They're a capable group that does not always actually bring it. He's on the defensive side of the ball, right? They were in the backfield a lot more against Missouri than they have been all year long. But then, you know, third and 22, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're just not going to tackle anybody. You know, we're, we're going to go take on that blocker down the sideline rather than actually, like, try to tackle the guy who's there. Or we're going to let the guy get outside instead of pinning him inside and sending him back to help or or whatever. I mean, th- there were multiple times where you're like, well, do we just, like, not pay attention on third down? Is that what's going on here? So, um, yeah, we'll get, a into that. A, we'll get into that. A frustrating – a frustrating day to watch the Gators. Certainly, this could have been fifty-two to fifty-two to ten if Florida had been able to put a few things together. At the same time, a win is a win, and there were signs of progress in areas that I think are important to see signs of progress. So, um, both positives and negatives, which is kind of what Napier said in his press conference today, it was very much a well, we see some good things, and well, we see some bad things, and eh, sometimes we're just kind of okay. And it was like a lesson in coach speak. I mean, the only thing you did. <laughs> Got at the reporters like Saban, but other than that, it was sort of a Saban press conference, and uh, you know that's that's what this team deserves. They deserves a yeah. they deserve a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, and we'll keep working. Yeah, well, so maybe just a little big picture here before maybe go big picture next week, and then we'll kind of move on to some more details here. But as we said, four and two for the Gators. As I said, could be record wise. Like, look, this is probably about where a lot of people expected Florida. You have a chance to go 5-2 and two going into the Georgia week. I think a lot of people would have signed up for that, uh, given this team. I, I, you know, I can't make uh, 
I can't make your expectations for you, whatever they were. You know, I can't probably change your mind either. But this team has been up and down. Uh, but sit at four and two, five and two. I think with the way this season has played out, I think a lot of us would take five and two right now going into the Georgia game, uh, and then Texas A&M right after. So, will you know, kind of the theme of this episode where Florida sits right now going into this tough stretch that we looked at before the season. Now we knew Utah and Kentucky was going to be really tough back to back opener. Uh, we still didn't really know how Tennessee, how good Tennessee was going to be. They're probably be a lot better than, <laughs> than many of us thought out there. Uh, so we knew that was going to be a tough stretch, but we knew looking at these three games in a row uh, coming up here with LSU, with Georgia, with Texas A&M was going to be season-defining in some ways for Florida. And LSU may or may not be as good as you thought they'd be, but where Florida is right now, you know, that is a true coin flip of a game right now between those two teams. Don't think much has changed with the way you view Georgia. The, if, from from orange and blue glasses, and a lot of people were still expecting to go to Jacksonville, lose that game, and now Texas A&M looks a little more winnable right here. So sitting at four and two, five and two possible going into the bye week, which you know really I think is important for the Gators right now. And big picture, will it may be ugly? It, it is not pretty at all right now for Florida. Four and two with a chance to go to five and two going into the bye week. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is the defense has been worse than I ever could have imagined it was going to be. Yeah. I think you and I both expected the defense was going to take a step forward with the departure of Todd Grantham, and they've taken a decided step backwards. The Missouri game excluded. I think they were they were pretty good in this game, actually. But, uh, you know, the defense hasn't been great all year long. And then you look at the offense, and it's actually been pretty good. It just hasn't been able to sustain drives at times. And then they haven't been able to put the ball in the end zone nearly as much as you would expect, which was a which was a differentiator last year. I mean, last year, mm-hmm. they were really good in terms of moving the ball up and down the field, and then they were terrible when they got in the red zone. This time, it's been sort of the same thing, but then the turnover show keeps keeps showing up with, with Richardson specifically, and so they're not able to put the ball in the end zone, and they end up allowing teams to hang around when they shouldn't hang around. Will, well, I don't know. More, Heaven, well, I don't know. And one more point before you go there, because this might string along with what you were thinking, but that's one reason I'm such a big proponent of the big plays, because it's helping this offense now as i said that that's consistency is part of the issue and that's kind of what they're living on right now or it's being able to hit the big play but the big play it is a difference for this offense right now and if you want to look at stats or yards per especially yards per rush and we'll get into that but that's kind of the difference for that's keeping this offense from being a pretty bad offense yeah i mean they're a top 20 offense in yards per play they just have an enormous variability it's like one one (laughs) one punt one, one, 47. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden you look at the average, you're like, oh, hey, we're averaging 10 yards to play. Like, <laughs> how about that? But it turns out that correlates with scoring almost always. Yeah. And, and it hasn't for Florida. It didn't last year either. Um, some of that is because it's all coming on the ground. So you mm-hmm. don't get a guy behind the defense and hit him with the throws. Um, but part of that is, is that I think, you know, there, some of the, some at some point that's going to start to even out at some point i do think the turnovers are going to start to come down a little bit um you know even the the interception richardson threw the other day i mean that ball usually hits the ground we said that about the game the the interception against kentucky right before the half usually that ball just gets batted down it doesn't get intercepted so there have been a couple of unlucky ones but at the same time he's thrown up a lot of passes that probably you'd look at and just go no no yeah no, there was one early there was one early in the game that should have been picked off so okay it evened out <laughs> yeah maybe but uh, you know it's interesting because you mentioned LSU LSU is always the fulcrum game for Florida season it's actually one of the interesting things about next year's schedules LSU is much much later in the season mm-hmm. and so it won't be able to serve that in that capacity but LSU almost always tells you <coughs> 2020 where Florida's going where <laughs> 
now that too. But, but <laughs> look, LSU almost tells you where Florida season is going to be every year. And so usually it's like, you know, both teams are three and one or four and one or, or, or four and two or something like that coming in. And if you end up five and two after this game, you've pretty much guaranteed yourself a bowl game. Pro- probably you've pretty much guaranteed yourself exceeding the six and six projections everybody had coming for you in, you know, at the beginning of the season. And, you know, I think you look at that and say, all right, that's successful. Now, It'd be even more successful if you, you obviously are able to pick off Georgia or if you go into College Station and win against A&M. But you don't have to to have some, to say this has been a successful season. If you lose to LSU, now you're four and three. You lose to Georgia, you're four and four. You lose to A&M, now you're four and five. You know, now you got to pick off. You know, you're going to have to win some games that right now I think people sort of say are a coin flip. I mean, look, Florida State, I don't know what that fade route was the other night, <laughs> but Florida State is is at least competitive with teams like LSU. And Florida's not that much better than LSU right now when you look at those two programs. And so um, every game is a toss-up because of how inconsistent this team is, which means when you have an opportunity to go out there and take advantage of somebody, you need to do that. Now, the good news is LSU specifically is essentially the same profile as Missouri, but with a worse defense. On the offensive side of the ball, they're bad through the air. They're decent on the ground. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're about average. And Missouri ranked like 25th coming into that game. LSU is basically the same offensive team, but a worse defense. So if you look at it that way, I think you should say Florida probably has the advantage. But we've, we're so Jekyll and Hyde, specifically the quarterback position, that I don't know you can ever sort of say, oh, yeah, this is the way the game will go. Mm-hmm. If you get three turnovers from the quarterback, he averages four yards in attempt and he throws for 60 yards. It's going to be tough to win against most teams. They were able to get it done against Missouri. I don't know if they'll be able to survive it two weeks in a row. Yeah, Scott pulls up uh, right here to a comment. Only one penalty. That's improvement for sure uh, going into the last game. But, Will, you know, besides the kickoff penalties that drove us nuts, you know, the first few games of the season, I mean, penalties, you know, if, if we want to start looking at improvement from last year's team to this year's team, and look, at, and I specifically have said that for the defense. Look, yeah, this defense isn't better. They are better at creating turnovers. That has helped Florida. And overall, team-wise, there has not been those boneheaded penalties. There's not been the penalties that really – dig Florida into a hole, whether it be in opportune time or just a high number of penalties, Florida is much better in that area as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think there's any doubt that there have been some areas of emphasis, particularly when it comes to sort of the boneheaded plays. We haven't seen late hits out of bounds. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen the undisciplined sort of yapping back and forth. Those sorts of things seem to have been mostly eliminated. What hasn't been eliminated is the are the undisciplined plays once the play, once the ball is actually snapped. Correct. So is the receiver going to the right spot? Does the quarterback make the right read? Did the running back cut back when he was supposed to? Did the offensive line do what it was supposed to do on the blocks? On the defensive side of the ball, are the linebackers in the right gap? Did the defensive line do a good job of getting penetration? Are the cornerbacks making the tackle once the ball's thrown out of the flat? All those sorts of things are things that, again, I think if you look at that Missouri game, you start to see progress in some of those areas. I think Jaden Hill being back clearly made a difference in this one. <laughs> um, but, you know, progress is – I guess that's the question, is this was a 6-7 and seven team last year. Um, you know, unlucky in one-score games, but still a 6-7 and seven team. And Napier's coming in and changing the system, and Anthony Richardson's been bad in three of the, three of the six games. And so, you know, I, I, am, I, I am on the side of feeling fortunate that the team is 4-2. I'm not pining for six and zero. Like obviously that was a possibility, but I think if you look at score differential, if you look at quarterback rating, if you look at all those sorts of things, I think Florida is probably pretty. And you look at the defensive rankings, <laughs> I think Florida is probably pretty fortunate to be four and two right now. And the question is, what can you do to take advantage of it? Yeah. Because you are going to have an opportunity to take advantage of it, and we are starting 
to see improvement in areas where, you know, last year and two years ago specifically, we kept sort of waiting for the Georgia D or for the Florida defense to sort of turn things around. And it felt like it got worse as the year went on. I think the offense last year felt the same way. It started out, you know, we were pretty encouraged after that game against Alabama last year. And then everything just starts to fall apart. And what we saw against Missouri was a team that went out there and did not have its best, you know, did not have its best stuff, right? It's, it's like a pitcher goes out there and normally he's throwing 99 miles an hour and able to blow people away. And all of a sudden he's throwing like 92 and he's got to be wily and sort of figure out how to get hitters out because he just doesn't have his best stuff. It was the same thing. Richardson clearly didn't have his best stuff. The offensive line struggled in the first half, um, and the defense happened to step up and was able to get Florida not only not only get the Missouri offense off the field, but get some points for Florida. And then the kick return puts them in good field position. So you know, feeling really good being ten ten at the half in some ways because they didn't deserve to be ten ten at, at the half. And and you know, you're going to need those throughout the course of a year. I mean, even if you look at Alabama struggled with a And M, the part of that is because they had a backup quarterback in. But again, in consistent play at the quarterback position, turnovers at the quarterback position, and a team like Texas A&M that's clearly inferior to Alabama. But that game ends up coming down to the last play because of all the turnovers and all the times Alabama put the ball on the ground. So if you ask me where Florida really needs to improve from a discipline standpoint, they need to stop turning the ball over. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, you can you can get away with two turnovers against Missouri. You don't want to, but you can get away with it. You're not going to be able to get away with two turnovers against everybody. And that's the thing. If Florida's turning the ball over at least two times a game, in every game, and if you start if you start talking about discipline, you start to talk about you know executing the game plan. You start to talk about you know the game slowing down. That's where it's going to have to change. The quarterback specifically is going to have to stop turning the ball over. Absolutely, that's a big part of it. We'll get into some Anthony Richardson talk later this episode. We'll look at the run game as well. Uh, next will be coming up that third down defense. But before we do, here's a message from our sponsor, Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. Uh, well, coming out of the Missouri game, of course, the third and longs given up by Florida. Billy Napier said in the press conference after the game he would want to look at the tape before he diagnosed what some of the issues were. And the very first question was about that third down defense. Didn't waste any time there. So here is what Billy Napier had to say about the third and long conversions given up. And also, Princeton Yuma Mielin giving his thoughts on it as well. I think it's all very correctable. Um, you know, with some of it's missed tackling. Some of it is uh, pass rush lane integrity. Some of it is leveraging coverage. And then some were just not, maybe we're not in a great call here or there, you know. So it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I don't necessarily know there's one thing that we could pinpoint. 
uh, but it's certainly something that we uh, have done really well at times, week to week. Uh, and Saturday was an area where we struggled a little bit. So we'll, we'll go back to work there and, and evaluate it uh, objectively and try to put our players in better position and then try to get the players to execute much better. What's the level of frustration when those things happen? <laughs> no, I mean, anytime it's third and long, I mean, if, if you know the numbers you're anticipating, you know, you got a good percentage chance to win. Um, but also know that, you know, it comes down to execution, right? Missouri had well-designed stuff at times, right? They, their players made plays at times. So uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. But, you know, when you get 11-plus, you know, those are the ones that you anticipate winning. Those are the ones that, you know, for me, uh, as the head coach, those are the ones you struggle with a little bit. It's very high. You know, that's an area that I feel like we got to emphasize getting better on this week because last week we had too many instances where we had them in third and ten or and longer and they converted. So, and that's a, a, a big thing that helps you win a lot of games. You got to uh, get off the field on third down. So, uh, this week we got to really focus on getting better on that. What are coaches saying about that and how do they react to that? Um, no, nah, yeah, of course they're not happy about that. They just tell us we got to get off the field on third down, and it's not like, it's not like uh, people aren't there. It's just we also have to work uh, tackling. We also have to work on tackling. Was tackling the common issue on the third and longs that allowed those conversions? Like, what was it that you saw that was common between those plays? I feel like on two of, two of the ones that I've seen that I can remember, it it was it was an open field tackle that could be made, but um, the other ones I, I can't recall. Well, yeah, tackling rears its head again uh, for the Gators, an issue that we have seen the last couple of years. Uh, initially, when this season started, didn't seem that big of an issue, but now it has kind of game by game. We're starting to see it a bit more, maybe because, you know, we're, you know, we're starting to see everybody's favorite little bit of softer zone covers, a little bit of softer covers from the Gators. And look, if you're going to play that, I think there's a couple of reasons why the Gators find themselves in that uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of trust and safety uh, there for the Gators, so I think you know, you'll find yourself uh, probably in some more zone covers there. But it does look like a little confusion uh, going on there on the back end uh, for the Gators. I think safeties, I don't think Jason Marshall's all that comfortable, <laughs> at least as comfortable already as what we saw Jaden Hill, uh, you know, step back in the zone and, and reading and, and diagnosing what's in front of him. Uh, but I think a lot of it is, you know, trying to prevent that big play. They are trying to keep things in front of them. Uh, when you look at it. But, well, there's a couple things if you're going to do it. First of all, we've hit this nail on the head, and it was better in this game. You've got to get pressure up front, uh, and Florida did that better this game. But you're going to have to do that consistently um, if you're going to sit back there and you know, kind of a conservative uh, approach on the back end. But as I said, you've got to tackle better. And if you're going to allow receivers to catch the ball, if you're not going to be around the receivers to catch the ball, you've got to make the tackle when they start cutting up field or as soon as they make the catch. And, well, I, I saw it. It was 116 yards after the catch for Missouri receivers. A lot of that just, as we know, and they just discussed it, a lot of missed tackles there. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it as, so there was one play where there was a ball thrown out of the flat, and I think Trey Dean was the one who was supposed to be in coverage, and he just wasn't there. And that play went for like 22, 23 yards. There was obviously the third and 22 that everybody's remembering that goes out of the flat. Jadarius Perkins misses the tackle, but more importantly, he allowed the guy to get to the outside. 
And so those are the things that I think need to get fixed. You're not going to fix guys' ability to tackle. What you can do is you can force guys into a situation where they have to go back to two or three guys who are going to tackle them. And if you look at the secondary, particularly on those third and longs, what you're seeing is it almost has to be one guy in one-on-one coverage making the tackle or a one-on-one situation Mm -hmm. making the tackle, and there's nobody around to help. Well, one of the reasons there's nobody around to help is they're not forcing the guy back inside where all of his help is. It's not that corner's job to make the tackle. It's that corner's job to take on the blocker and force the guy back inside to everybody else. And it ends up being a 12-yard gain instead of a 28-yard gain because you force him back inside. You saw the exact same thing in the in the review article I wrote for Tennessee on Hendon Hooker's big long run. That should have been a 10-yard gain. Same thing. Corner comes up, tries to make the tackle, dive inside of the blocker. Hooker, Hooker gets to the outside, and it turns into a huge gain. So, you know, I know people are going to blame scheme. I don't think it's a scheme. Third and 22, geez, you should be able to stop that <laughs> right. if you have a bunch of Pop Warner players out there, right? And, and the um, – the issue is not scheme in this case. The issue is execution and making sure you maintain leverage in order to funnel people to where you have more guys. And, you know, they just have not done a good job of that. And until they start doing that, until they start trusting each other, because that's what that is. That's mm-hmm. a, I need to go make the tackle and I'm going to be the hero instead of I'm going to utilize where I am on the field to make sure this guy gets down short of the first down, whether I'm the one who makes the tackle or not. And, you know, we saw this in the opening game against Utah. There was a great play where I think it was Trevez Johnson drove the wide receiver back in back behind the line of scrimmage, and there was a little swing pass out there. And Rashad Torrance came and cleaned it up. But if he missed the tackle, Ventrell Miller and Shamar James were going to be there too because – Trevez Johnson pushed the receiver back and prevented the guy in the flat from getting to the outside. Had he and, gotten to the outside, it would have been an easy touchdown. Yeah, because that was deep. That, he, in, that was deep in Florida territory. On deep that in Florida yeah. territory, and they were down 10-7. That was a huge stop. And so that kind of thing happens from time to time. It needs to happen every time. I mean, and, and that's the thing is you can talk about a missed tackle, and I can say, okay, that's a physical mistake. Yeah. But not using your leverage to divert the guy back to where you have help—that's a mental mistake. And those guys have to come off the field when that sort of thing happens. Otherwise, this isn't going to improve. Now, I don't know who they've got, who they've got back there, what they're showing in practice, and I don't know, um, you know, I, I don't know what the, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know what the strategy is in terms of who they've got out there on those particular plays. But that's the reality. The reality is is that I don't think this is a tackling issue. I think this is an issue of not allowing your teammates to swarm to the ball in most cases. Um, this wasn't a game where they weren't getting pressure on the quarterback. You could at least blame that a little bit for the things previous. I mean, on the play that they converted right after that, when they have the third and 15, the ball gets thrown down the field. Um, that was actually a pretty decent play. I mean, Tyreek Sapp was right on him as, yeah. as he as he throws the ball. The ball flutters. Jalen Kimber comes in, sort of swipes his hand in front of it, and just for some weird reason missed the ball. Again, that's one where you go, hey, that guy's got to make the play because he's in the right position. You got the pressure up the middle. Um, the guy threw it up there. That's probably something that you got to be able to get. But for the most part, I look at it and I just say, it's the old Bill Belichick thing. It's do your job. Your job is not to always make the tackle. Sometimes your job is to put your teammates in position to make the tackle. And Florida's not doing that strategically, like across the board. It is not just Jarius Perkins. It is not just Rashad Torrance. It is not just Trevez Johnson. The entire team is struggling when it comes to trusting their teammates to be in the right spot instead of just trying to make the play. Yeah, well, and I said this on the Gators Breakdown Plus Q&A last week, and I was like, this is a tricky situation for me on defense of 
And how much does Patrick Tony change what he wants to do, what he wants to teach? Uh, and, you know, what is big picture here or is big picture even in play here? Uh, and that, I think that goes to uh, who you're playing and do you turn it over to some of the younger players? Uh, and if you do turn it over to some of the younger players, you know, how much do you pair the defense down? Do you want them to learn the defense? Do you want them to learn the defense that you expect them to run, you know, for the rest of the season next year and the year after that? You know, I, I do think it's a delicate balance. It's a fine line of how much do you whittle down the defense and are they really learning the defense to take advantage of the of the scheme next year or – you know, is it you're just dubbing it down for them so they can, you know, have a better play here or there? I, I don't know. How much do you weigh big picture in this thing? Because, you know, you ask fan bases like, well, I don't want so-and-so veteran player. I don't want so-and-so veteran player. I want the young guys out there to learn and I'll learn, the, and we'll, we'll deal with the mistakes. And then the mistakes happen and they still get ticked off anyway. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lose-lose battle a, a whole lot of the time. But I, I do think if you're a defensive coordinator and you're Patrick Tony. You know, how much do you balance big picture or whittling down the defense just to get a better job here or there? I mean, I think it's pretty simple. You channel your inner Herm Edwards. You play to win the game, and and that's the way you go, right? So if Jalen Kitna gives you the best shot to win, you, you play Kitna. I don't think that's true, so I don't think you play Kitna. If Trevez Johnson gives you the best chance to win, you put Trevez Johnson in there. Th this idea that we baby the baby the younger players and when they're not prepared, put them in there, even if they're a worse option than yeah. the older player, no, beat out the older player. Exactly. Like if you beat out the older player, then you get the reps, right? So a guy like Jaden Hill comes back and he had shown in the spring what he could do. He comes back, he's healthy in practice, he's doing what he should what he, he's doing what he should do, and all of a sudden he's the starter. And then he's out there and he missed a couple of tackles in the game against Eastern Washington. He didn't miss anything in this game. Hill was awesome. And so again, and, look, and, and the Joe coaches Miller. and the coaches owe him nothing. Like they don't know Jaden Hill. And they didn't even have tape no. on him last year. They had to, you know, if they're going to study Jaden Hill, they got to go back two years ago. So, I mean, it comes back to what kind of culture do you want, right? And eventually what we hope is Billy Napier has 14 five-star guys all competing for the outside. <laughs> and when he does, the last thing you want is for some guy who's been there for four years go, well, I get to play. It's like, no, did you get beat out by the guy behind you? Cool, that guy's playing. And same thing, if you're an older guy like Ventrell Miller, you, you've got a shot at the NFL. You did not come back to get replaced by Shamar James just because James needs to learn. You came back. If James beats you out and James takes your spot or DeWan Black beats you out and takes your spot, hey, that's on you, dude. But if he doesn't beat you out and you're out there playing and you're playing well, like, or even if you're not playing well, if you beat that guy out in practice, you beat that guy out in camp, you need to play. And that that needs to be the attitude for the team. So, you know, look, if, if a guy's playing well in practice and it's not translating to the games, maybe you give the guy behind him a shot. Yeah. I think we've seen that a few times in a few different places. But the reality is, is look, I mean, if trading's out there, it's because he's beating out Kamari Wilson. It's Kamari Wilson's job to take his job. And if he doesn't do it, well, then that's on him. And, you know, the fact that we're seeing some of these young guys is an indicator there that that go. is starting to happen. That yeah. as these guys are getting reps and as these guys are getting practice reps and as these guys are getting game reps, they're starting to come along and they're going to start giving those guys an opportunity to, to push them, especially if there are issues during the game. But this idea that we're just going to like hand it to the young kids because, oh, we got to prepare for 2023 or 2024, I think it's misguided. You put in the guy who gives you the best shot to win the game because that's the way you build a program. You build it based on competition, not based on nepotism. And, you know, eventually we'll end up in a situation where Damian Pierce isn't getting four carries a game <laughs> if he's the best running back.
Yeah, well, and, you know, going with that, I do think, kind of going to one of your points and extended a little bit, I do think we are seeing younger players in other places to kind of throw that thought away. Uh, ETN's getting more carries. I mean, look, he was a true freshman getting carries in game one versus Utah, one of the best teams you'll play on the schedule all year. He's in their game one, and now we've seen week by week by week he's getting more carries. And you go into the linebacker, go into the defensive um uh, your defensive side of the ball, you look at linebacker, well, you did have Shamar James and Scooby Williams, another young linebacker, past DeWan Black and, 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 and Derek Wingo. You know, now early in the season, they're going to lean on Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie, and those guys have done some good things uh, this season. And, and first of all, I don't want to – you brought him up. I, we'll bring him up again. I don't want to shy away from what Ventro Miller did the other day, uh, what Billy Napier had to say the other day, uh, as well as saying, look, it looks like a play is lost on this defense, but out of nowhere, Ventro Miller comes and is the last line of defense and makes the tackle. You know, there's there, there's a, a player like him, why he's out there. Uh, but, yeah, we see uh, – I think there's enough examples of young players being out there to where this whole senior favoritism thing, I think, gets kind of overblown uh, a bit, and we're, we're, we're seeing it play out. And as the season goes along, as these young guys get more experienced, then maybe we see them out, uh, out there a bit more. But I do think they have probably – Given by what we have seen so far with some young players in some other places, I do think the ones that have earned it are the ones that are out there playing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think young players are going to make mistakes. Young players need reps. We realize that. And you're going to get young players in as people either get hurt or as you get the opportunities. So when you're up by two touchdowns, you can bring a guy like Scooby Williams in and put him in at linebacker. And they did in that drive where they gave up a couple of those long third downs. Um, of course, when the when the defense parted like the Red Sea, I'm pretty sure that's because Scooby Williams outran his gap by about four yards, and all of a sudden you got somebody, you know, the Pete just running straight up the gap that was left by that. Those sorts of mistakes are going to happen, and this idea that, you know, we see this with backup quarterbacks all the time. And and I I, I know I texted you or, or DM'd you in the middle of that Alabama game. I go, you know, this is why playing the backup quarterback is not always the best idea. Like Florida fans, I don't want to say spoiled. It's not spoiled, but Florida fans have unrealistic expectations of what a backup quarterback can do because they've had Tim Tebow as a backup quarterback and they've had Kyle Trask as a backup quarterback. That's not usually who's back there. And usually when you bring a guy in like Milrow, look, that Alabama team looks absolutely ordinary with Milrow at quarterback and, and the Georgia team struggled against Missouri with Stetson Bennett when he had a down game and you look at A&M, God, they can't figure out what they're doing at quarterback with, with Haynes King and, and Max Johnson now hurt. And, you know, are they going to finally give Wegman a shot? You know, like Jimbo can't figure out his quarterback position either. The backup quarterback is always the most popular guy until you put him in there. I mean, do we not remember the Treon Harris experiment for Will Greer? Do we not remember the Jacoby Brissett for Jeff Driscoll or the, the, you know, any of those situations where, um, you know, Florida just has not had the backup quarterback, the starter gets hurt, and all of a sudden, you know, ooh, like this is rough. That's usually what happens when you bring in the backup. And I think that is it's most visible at the quarterback position, but it's true everywhere, right? There are easy places to sort of integrate yourself. Running back is one of them. That's why ETN can play running back, is that's a place that's instinctual, especially when you get the ball. Um, 
you know, I, I haven't gone back and looked to see what he's doing in pass protection. That's usually what keeps a running back off the field. Wide receiver is a place where where guys tend to get in there relatively early. But Florida, at least, is pretty comfortable with Pearsall yeah. and Shorter and Henderson, so they're not rotating a bunch of people in. Um, tight end, they haven't really had anybody mm. who can jump in other than Xanders and Zipper, and yep. those guys are sort of eh. Like they're they're hey, okay, did, they're not great. We, we did see Marcus Burke earlier than we have at any point this year uh, versus yep. Missouri. So you know, there's an, uh, another uh, hopefully something that we do see more of of, uh, of him. Well. Well, and Human Melan, you know, Boone wound up getting the yeah. start over Human Melan in the last game against Eastern Washington. Human Melan comes in three tackles for loss and a sack. Gravon Dexter finally got a sack and a tackle for loss in this one. You look at Chris McClellan got a got a sack and a tackle for loss. The young guys are starting to do some things. They're starting to make a difference, um, but it's not a panacea, and that's the thing. Is I'm okay with young guys playing, mm-hmm. but you know the 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 thing is is that I don't know. If you go look at the actual film, watch every play. Anytime there's a young guy out there, very often, especially early on, that was where the mistake was coming. And you know, we talk about trust. Like, is the safe? Does the safety trust that the linebacker is going to do the right thing? If not, he hedges in that direction. And so, a young linebacker means the safety is going to hedge and be out of position. Saw that in the Buffalo game against. Uh, against not who they play yesterday against Pittsburgh, you know, Buffalo, the, the opening play of the game or, you know, Buffalo's deep in the territory and Allen hits like a 98 yard touchdown. And it looked like the safety didn't trust his corner was going to have the underneath coverage gets behind the safety and bam, Allen hits it for a huge play. So it's not just the Florida Gators who have this issue. It's not just um, college football where the, the issue of trust becomes an issue or becomes a major issue. And that to me is the thing that I see on the defensive side of the ball is that when there's a breakdown, it's usually because one player doesn't trust another or because he doesn't deserve the trust because because he's he's breaking thing you know he's he's doing something he shouldn't do within the scheme especially in the Tennessee game you could see that but it's it's systematic and so you see that and the question then becomes you know it, are those things acceptable can a young guy do any better is a young guy doing better in practice all those sorts of things the only place where I think you know I think there are places you can criticize that you know I think Napier's a big boy he could take it um, the running back position still flummoxes me. There are two guys who are just clearly better at, when they give them the ball, and and they're using carries in a non-optimized way at the running back position. I think Montreal Johnson is hitting two or three gash runs every game. Etn is making guys miss in the hole. If you ask me what I would do, I'd give Etn like the first eight carries of the game, tire out the defensive line, and then turn it over to Montreal Johnson. It looks like Etn has a little bit more skill when he's in the hole and has to make somebody miss. Looks like Johnson, when you get him past that first level, all of a sudden he's going to be an explosive guy who can get you a big play. So sort of combine that by, you know, early on you give the ball to Naquan Wright and Montrell Johnson. Okay, those guys aren't really – you're not really utilizing those skills if they have to take on somebody in the hole. ETN seems to be able to do that really, really well. And I think there's a way to distribute the carries where it will in a more optimized way rather than just rotating the guys in one drive after another, after another, after another. Uh, but other than that, I think for the most part, yeah, the, uh, the number did see. get better there. This game, as far as just pure carries go, um, I'm trying to remember what was it? He had right had five and the other guys had okay. yeah, right had five. Richardson had five, ETN had 10 and Johnson had eight. Yeah. So, so at least number wise. Yeah. Well, and when it came down to it in the second half, yeah, they gave the ball to Johnson, <laughs> and ETN, right? Because yeah. in the first half, it was pretty much equivalent in terms uh-huh. of the number of carries that it they was. had. And, yep. and look, I mean, eight for eighty-six for Montreal Johnson, ten for eighty-three 
for for ETN, five for twenty two. So not terrible for right, but again, yeah, you know, you're Com- looking at a pretty decent. Well, you're looking at a pretty decent sample size at this point. I think I think Johnson has forty six rushes and he's averaging eight per. ETN has forty six carries and he's averaging like six point seven. Well, here you go, Will. I got and it. Then, I, I got it. I got it for you. Now this is I'm going I'm to give it to you now. SEC SEC leaders in yards per carry. Number one, no surprise, Jameer Gibbs. We've seen what he has done the last couple of weeks for Alabama. Transfer from Georgia Tech. Number two in the SEC in yards per carry, Montreal Johnson, eight yards a carry. Guess who's number three, Will? I'm going to guess it's ETN. Trevor ETN, 6.8. <laughs> so Florida has two of the top three SEC leaders in yards per carry. Uh, that gives Montreal Johnson second nationally in power five running backs. Trevor ETN's ninth. Uh, so... You know, there, there you go. As far as yards per carry go, we talked about the big plays earlier. They are coming in the run game. They are coming from Montreal Johnson. They are coming from Trevor Etienne. Uh, well, and I was going to go to AR next, but we're sitting here with the running backs. I think I quick we watch of the game today. Uh, the run plays, they were much closer to being there in the first half than I originally thought they were. Uh, and it was just razor thin of a big play happening in the first half as well uh, versus Missouri. On one play, it would be the tackle not getting the block at the second level uh, that would have sprung a big run. Another um, right, Naquan Wright chooses the wrong path. Uh, another Rashad Torrance is pulling in rare missed block for him on, on, on a counter play uh, that would have sprung a play. You mean Torrance? Well. Rashad Torrance. Osiris Torrance. Osiris, yeah. Yeah. Who did I say? You said Rashad Rashad. Torrance. Man, I've done that so many times this year. Um, But, yeah, so, you know. He's kind of small for a guard. Yes, he is, yes, he is. Uh, No wonder he missed that block. Uh, (laughs) But, anyway, uh, so, you know, there was three plays right there in the first half where it was razor thin, and you could just see one little block, and the big runs were happening. Well, okay, those get fixed in the second half. Better blocking on the edge. Running backs made guys miss. Uh, at the second level as well. I mean, I, I like what I've seen from this run game so far. I like the adjustments. I like the improvement from the first half to the second half. But it was also encouraging that I saw, okay, well, they weren't so far in the first half, kind of going back to Billy Napier's parts where the execution wasn't there at some points of it. We corrected some things. That's where you saw the big runs. Well, but that's sort of my point is is each of these guys have a, has a different skill. ETN is a lot more slippery than the other two guys. Right, that's just the reality. There was a play where he made a jump cut in the hole, and I went, "Whoa!" And you looked at the guy, you looked at the linebacker coming in to make the tackle, and you're like, "Wow, that guy's just like grasping at air, going in trying to take him down low." He sees that, he makes the move. That's instinctual. I don't think that's something that you can teach. And all of a sudden, he turns, the Kentucky run you know, what, where he had that guy yeah. just left him in his, his socks were still in the field. Absolutely. So, you, you know, you turn a one-yard gain into an eight-yard gain, and that seems to be ETN's specialty. And that hidden play where he makes it a fourth and two instead of a fourth and nine, right, where he's tight roping up the mm-hmm. sideline. Like, that is something that ETN does and Naquan Wright doesn't. I'm sorry, Naquan Wright doesn't. That doesn't mean Wright doesn't bring value. That doesn't mean that Wright isn't a good running back, but it means you've got a better running back for specific situations. And I just look at it and I go, when the opposing defense is jacked and the opposing defense is not tired and they're going to get – you know, you're going to miss a couple of blocks early in a game because you're not trying – you're trying to sort of enforce your will on the other team or impose your will on the other team, but you haven't been able to do it yet, right? They're still they're still full of energy, still fully fresh. You're going to have to make a couple of guys miss in the hole. Who are the guys who can do that? ETN and Anthony Richardson. And then who's the third option when it comes to making a guy miss in the hole? It's Montreal Johnson. But Montreal Johnson seems to be the guy foot in the ground north and south, and when there's a crease, he's gone. And so th- – 
you can take advantage of a tired defense in a way that you maybe don't early on in the game. I think there's a way, again, if you want to get Naquan right the ball, that's fine. But let's do it in a way that optimizes his carries when you're trying to get to the outside because he does seem to have more speed than the other two when it, mm-hmm. come, when it comes to coming around the edge. So if you're going to run options, if you're going to run speed options, if you're going to run something where you've got a pitch play or something like that, I think having Naquan right on the field makes a lot of sense. Running him up the middle just isn't effective, and we can see it in the statistics. So um, that's a place where I say, all right, like I get what you're trying to do here, but you're – you know, you're talking like Napier specifically is talking about we're doing a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. We've got missed assignments, this sort of stuff. But one of the things he's doing is non not optimizing his lineup in a situation where that is what the Gators offense is. It's running the ball. And so to to leave yards on the field, to leave opportunities on the field there, to me, seems short sighted in terms of what they're trying to get accomplished. Yeah, there weren't a whole lot of plays Saturday just because of how the game played out. Uh, and I said, luckily, uh, thankfully, those two running backs we started seeing getting more carries made a huge difference in the second half uh, right there for the Gators. So, all right, last topic here uh, for this episode. Anthony Richardson, quarterback, of course, struggled Saturday versus Missouri. Uh, another struggle has been about half and half this year. Gators have played six games. Half of them struggles. Half of them good games by Anthony Richardson. Here's a question uh, here today from the media on AR and Billy Napier's uh, response about him running the ball the ball a ton Saturday, maybe even missed a few opportunities to run. Are you at the point where you need to maybe urge him to do it? I mean, especially early in the season, you're telling him not to run. Now, all of a sudden, are you find yourself trying to urge him to run more? Well, I don't necessarily know that any of that's accurate, but I do think that he's using his instincts and his judgment, you know, relative to when it's right to run, when it's not. You know, and I think when you're a passer and it's a passing down, you know, that's when there's some decisions to be made. And I thought in the game Saturday he did a good job. You know, the fourth and two was a good example of that. I thought the third and five or six on the left hash where he broke the pocket to the right. Um, you know, I think there's some uh, calculated risk relative to when to take chances, when to not. And uh, I think here as of late uh, he's been making more good ones than bad ones the passing game lately and just kind of the progression over six weeks and, and where that's at now? Uh, good and bad. You know, I think we do it really well at times, and I think there's a lot of times we can do it better, you know. So um, I think we're working toward more consistency. Uh, and, you know, a lot of things contribute to throwing the ball. You know, I think you're seeing a trend in the NFL right now. If you just look at Sunday and look at the statistics of all the, you know, the quarterbacks in the NFL, you got to protect the passer, right? Then you got to have precision in the routes. If it's zone, you got to be spaced the floor correctly. Um, if it's man, you got to separate. You got to get open. There we go. We're talking about receivers there at the end. Zone sitting down. If you're man, got to go beat your man uh, out there. But going back to the beginning of it and, and AR's running ability uh, and decisions to run, you know, that's goes a couple of ways. Uh, it can go in the passing game, like Billy Napier said, you know, whether there'll be some times where he can just pull it down and, and get some yards. And also, uh, well, I thought there were plenty of times uh, early on in whether it be zone read or whether it even be some RPO there, Anthony Richardson did, does make the wrong read and, and, and hands it off. You know, there are times that he can pull it and run. At times, he can pull it and toss it out to the flats. Uh, there for in the RPO game, uh, I thought we started seeing that in the second half uh, versus Missouri. That 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 is there. 
Um, it makes me wonder, you know, what uh, the, the decision making is. Is the is it, you know, is it a just straight handoff to to and the RPO is just window dressing? Uh, I, I do think, you know, if the, if he does keep it, there are some yards there. And look, I, I'm at the point now with Anthony Richardson, whether there be some injury concerns. Yes, he's probably banged up at this point in the season. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not asking for 40, 50, 70 yard run Anthony Richardson every time he goes takes off you know now uh, we're at the point of this offense I want to see good decisions I want to see moving the chains I want to see getting first downs that that's the running of Anthony Richardson I want to see right now and then the the big runs come along with it then so be it of course we'll take that but you know it's a lot of a lot of decision making going on at the quarterback position where I think I think Anthony Richardson can help himself now does it take a design run more design runs to get him into the game and is there some hold back there uh, from an injury scare, a potential injury scare, or him being banged up. Maybe that's in play as well. Billy Napier, you know, didn't seem to want to talk about that too much at the beginning of that soundbite. Uh, but I do think as far as this decision-making goes and the potential of some more runs with Anthony Richardson based off of his decision-making, I, I, think, I think they are there. Yeah, I mean, look, I think – so let me ask you a question. Who do you think played better, Anthony Richardson or Brady Cook? <laughs> I'd take Cook. Yeah, so I think most people would take Cook, but one of the reasons is that Cook had a usage rate of fifty-eight percent. Anthony Richardson had a usage rate of thirty-nine percent. They did not give Rich. They did not put the ball in Richardson's hands very much, mm-hmm. whether that's by design or whether that's because they decided they were going to hand it to the running backs in the second half and say, "To heck with this, we're actually going to win this game." I, I think that's part but, of it. The second half, yes. <laughs> well, but the other thing is, is I think his stats look a lot better if Justin Shorter catches that Absolutely. ball. Right, thirty-two yards added onto his added onto his ledger. You're still looking at ninety-eight yards passing at that point. Okay, and then another, and then another forty for the Frazier's end zone drop. Yeah, but they had a holding on that one, so it was coming. It was uh, offsetting. Okay, okay, okay. That was coming Correct. back anyway. Okay, but you're looking at seven yards an attempt on fourteen attempts and nineteen total plays for one hundred and forty-three yards, which is a seven and a half yard per touch. And if you look at Cook. Yes, he averaged 7.3 yards per pass, but he also had 14 rushes for 16 yards, which means on a per-play basis, he only averaged 5.4 yards per play. And so if you look at it, even with Richardson without the 32 yards, he averaged 5.8 yards per play. So he averaged on a per-play basis more than Brady Cook did. Now, they both had two turnovers, and so you look at it and go, all right, well, that's pretty equivalent, but Cook just threw an awful pick six. Yeah, true. And, and, and was throwing into the teeth of the coverage, right? Cook cost them... 10 points in that game because he throws the pick six and then he throws the exact same route <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to Jaden Hill again, you know, late deep in Florida territory where they've at least got three points. So I look at this and I go, Anthony Richardson didn't play great, but I can find stats that say, and I can mine in particular yards, yards above replacement. He was better than Brady Cook. But Brady Cook isn't all that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that's the thing is I don't want to compare Anthony Richardson to Brady Cook. I want to compare him to guys like uh, Cam Rising and guys right. like Will Levis and those sorts of guys. What I will say is Richardson was putrid in the first half. Absolutely awful. One rush for minus three yards, nine pass attempts for 46 yards. You can't average five yards an attempt through the air and not run the ball. Yeah. He's much, much better in the second half because he averaged 12 yards per rush. And he has that big fourth down conversion. He had another third down conversion, is able to keep drives going after you get the big run. So they popped a big run. Richardson keeps those drives moving. Florida gets touchdowns. That's the difference, right? You don't need Anthony Richardson to pop a 33-yard run every time. Mm -hmm. What you need him to do is get you that first down 
on fourth and two. Get you that first down on third and six. And if he can get you that first down, this offense is good enough on the ground to where if you give them five plays for Etienne or Johnson to hit a big one, they're going to. Yes. But if you only give them three, they're going to struggle. The place I think you can maybe criticize Florida from a play calling perspective is they come out on that first drive and Richardson hits his first throw and then they they throw it two more times before they run the ball. And I'm just sitting there going, no, run the damn ball. Like, <laughs> come on, channel your inner save and run the ball uh, because that's where your bread, bread and butter is. But I'll tell you, the game against Kentucky was just downhill, right? Richardson turned the ball over and everything went choo, straight downhill and things fell apart. South Florida was the same way. He throws that interception across the middle, and all of a sudden, straight downhill. This game, he was able to right the ship. Now, he wasn't fantastic, but he he wasn't a detriment to the team in the second half. And, in fact, I think was a net positive to the team at the quarterback position in the second half. Well, I looked at it yesterday, and I forget the stat. If if we had given him the same exact stats, if he played the first half exactly like the second half, it would have been a really good day. If he played the first half exactly like the second yeah, half. Yeah, if I, if I yes. said that backwards, but yeah, you know what I meant there. Yeah, if the first half looked like the second half, it an okay day. Well, and again, if you look at it from a, a predicted points added or an EPA basis, Anthony Richardson was .39, which you know is, is pretty good in terms of quarterback. It's not fantastic, but it's pretty good for a quarterback. And he was at 1.38 in the fourth quarter and .172 in the third. So when it really counted in the fourth quarter, Anthony Richardson was able to make the plays that got for that game. I think the interception is obviously something where that ball needs to be down, where Pearsall can catch it. You hope that he's going to be able to develop that, but he's been high all year. That ball usually gets tipped up in the air and falls to the ground. It just does. And so, you know, sometimes you're unlucky. Sometimes you can't uncork that. Sometimes you got to find your check down, all those sorts of things. Those are things he's going to learn, but it wasn't terrible. So I'm looking at it going, all right, you've got a guy who can produce these just unbelievable explosive plays. He's not consistent. So what we, and if you look at anybody they're going to bring in as a replacement, it's going to be somebody who can be a little bit more consistent on the average throws, but has almost zero ability to produce those explosives. That's probably what you're doing if you're subbing in anybody else. So the, the thought exercise here, again, if I go back to you play to win the game, the thought exercise here is this guy can get us an explosive play at any point in, in, along the game. We don't know when it'll come, but at any point mm-hmm. along the game. And he can be an explosion, an explosive play machine if he really gets going and if his confidence is flying high. Is he going to throw a pick? Absolutely. I, if, if you get, if you told me that I have to go bet on, will he throw a pick against LSU or not? I'm taking the yes because that <laughs> seems to be his mo. Is he going to take a check down to his running back? I'm not sure about nope. that. Those are some yeah. things that you know. Those are some things that need to get worked on, obviously. But he's got the stuff that makes you special. He doesn't have the stuff that makes you consistent. And so you know the the description Napier, you know, he's capable. He's a he's a capable player who has not been able to put it all together. And if you're gonna give like the cornerback that sort of leeway to say, hey, he's capable, but he hasn't been able to put it all together. If you're gonna give the safety that kind of leeway, the linebackers that kind of leeway, um, then you're gonna have to give Anthony Richardson that as well. So I, I look at it and I go, I, I take some positives away from this because he didn't fall apart in the second half. He could have come out and it could have been a disaster and a catastrophe in the second half. And quite honestly, he's willing to hand the ball off to his running backs, mm-hmm. right? He's not he's not looking for the the yeah. limelight in a way where he's pulling it when he should. And quite honestly, if Montreal Johnson and Naquan, or not Naquan, right, but if Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne get a couple of extra carries because Anthony Richardson doesn't want to carry it around the edge, <laughs> that's not a bad alternative, right? No, Maybe it's, it's not. not the right read at all times, mm-hmm. but it's not a bad alternative. So 
I don't know, man. Like, it's not perfect. Yeah. I, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. I mean, you got to throw for more than 66 yards. Yeah. That's just the way it is. But he only had 14 tries, and he had a couple of drops. And so – I just think, you know, yeah, where I'm looking at because of the struggles, where can he help himself? And I do think well, there are a few, you know, a few runs. And look, and we know how much the run helps him, whether it be mentally, that is definitely part of it, and it translates to – whether that, for whatever reason, mentally it, it sets him apart where he just he, he more confident in his game now and he throws the ball better as well. But you know, just looking for just a couple here, you know, plays here or there to where that's the difference in you know Anthony Richardson getting going, maybe even early in games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's less than that, and it's more that once the defense has to actually account for him running. Yep. then it opens things up, right? The the holes in the zone get bigger. You're not jumping routes at that point. You know, <laughs> he sort of lulled Missouri to sleep there, and on fourth and two, <laughs> they're just like, here, let's part the Red Sea. Like, the only thing that kept him from scoring was that Justin Shorter was in the way. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I think from, from a certain standpoint, it's one of those things where take advantage of it when you need to, but he's going to have to learn how to throw the ball as you before. And you and I were talking before we came on and I asked you, what did you think? What, what do you think Chris Leak's numbers were against LSU in his first year in urban Myers offense, 11 of 30 for 107 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but 12 rushes for negative 32 yards, taking sacks left and right, completing 37% of his balls, 3.4 yards per attempt. Really? numbers that we have seen from Anthony Richardson in some capacity in some of these games, Florida loses that game 21 to 17, even average quarterback play Florida wins that game. That's the game that sends urban Meyer into, into fits where all of a sudden they've got a week off and they decide to put a fullback in against Georgia though. Revisionist history is a little bit interesting because they didn't score all that much against Georgia right, in that game yeah, either when yeah. they came back out. But my point is, is that, a guy like Chris Leak, who won a national championship for Florida and certainly had help from Tim Tebow and had help from an all-world defense, but a guy who won a national championship for Florida and could really spin it, had some really putrid games in that first year when he was in Urban Meyer's system. A little bit of square peg, round hole, learning a brand new system. Dan Mullen kept calling read options and having uh, and having uh, Leak run him out to the sideline. He'd get tackled for two yards. You're like, what in the heck was that crap? Um but it's interesting because when you look at the, what Nick and I, Nick Newton and I did uh, did a recap a while back of the Florida versus uh, South Carolina game in 2006. Chris Leak had two of the biggest runs in that game. Mm-hmm. They had read options that were wide open. Remember, he had two yeah. giant runs in that game. And, you know, that doesn't happen without what he did in 2005 where they ran it. And, you know, every time they ran it, we're sitting there going, why is he running Chris Leak? Like, what's going on? That's never <laughs> going to be open. Had the big run versus uh, Alabama, too, that year. And, and, sh- it, and, yeah. and sure enough, it opened up a little bit. And when it did, Leak was experienced enough to take advantage of it. And so I'm not saying Anthony Richardson is going to be Chris Leak. I'm not saying Florida's going to win a national championship with Anthony Richardson. What I'm going to say is – to take one data point, to take the Kentucky game, to take the USF game, to take even the the Missouri game and say, oh, well, I'm going to make a decision that Richardson can't win at Florida, I think is misguided. We've seen it at Florida before. We've seen guys come in, struggle in their first year in a system, and then get better. We, you know, I mentioned I wrote an article a month ago about Joe Burrow having the same problem when he came to LSU in 2018. And back then, everybody said, oh, it must be Joe Brady. But Joe Brady's been terrible everywhere he's gone since that year at LSU. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't couldn't keep a job in the NFL, and I don't even know where he is now, but he hasn't been any good since he left. Turns out it might have been Joe Burrow. 
who yeah. was really, really good. Because he Burrow's the only guy good enough to get Cincinnati to the Super Bowl. They haven't, they haven't been relevant in years, and all of a sudden Burrow goes there, and they're pretty good. So, again, I go back to I don't know what Anthony Richardson's going to be, but I know he has the capability of making these big-time plays, and I know that in the history of Florida football, we have seen guys with big-time talent put up absolute stink bombs. Um, and so, you know, who turned out to be very, very good players later on. And so I don't want to just throw on the towel on the kid. I think it's I think it's imperative that this staff understands by the end of the year what they have in him. Because if he comes back next year, you got to know is he going to be the guy who can lead us and who can who can allow us to go eleven and one next year, or is he going to be the kid who's going to be up one week down the next, up one week down the next? Now the exciting part of that for us is that maybe we get good Anthony Richardson against Georgia, right? Like we got him against Tennessee, we got him against Eastern Washington, we got him against Utah. You know, so the question is: Is he going to come out and go gangbusters against LSU? We're going to get excited, and then we're going to get uh, get you know kicked to the balls against Georgia, <laughs> or is he sort of going to come out, maybe be a little bit eh, not running that much against LSU, struggling a little bit in the past? Florida ekes one out, and then you go in against Georgia, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? <laughs> Like, I just don't know what to expect, which is part of the fun of this team, to be honest with you. Is week to week, there's just no idea what to expect. Yeah, that's that's part of it. You know, there's ultimate. Ultimate uh, determinations uh, being made out there, and that doesn't mean you'll be right. That doesn't mean you'll be wrong. I do think for you know for for some determinations out there, we're way too early into the process uh, for Anthony Richardson, uh, for Billy Napier, uh, for Patrick Tony. Look, we're way too early in all this to 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 be right or wrong. Yeah, you may end up being, uh, but you know to, to to say it's right there right now, and you absolutely know you're going to be right. Okay, you might be, but. I'm I'm willing to well, find out. Put it that way. Uh, that as you said, the, the potential there uh, for Anthony Richardson. You know, if I'll go specifically for him. I'm willing to find out if that potential can be unlocked at a consistent level. I I, I think it's worth. I think it's worth that. Well, it's and it's a binary, isn't it? Like you're either going to be right or wrong, regardless of which side you take. And good for you. You were right or you were wrong. Right. I don't know that you were right or wrong based on the data. I think you were right or wrong based on a gut feel of what you saw and made a decision. Now, you could say the same thing about us because we got all excited about Anthony Richardson coming into this year yeah, sure. based on data points against USF and FAU and, and that sort of stuff. And certainly it has not translated in terms of consistency. But we never said he was going to be consistent. We said he has the ability to make explosive plays. And I don't think that has been – misproven i think the the thing that we're running into is that he just hasn't been able to do it consistently and so that's going to be the question is can he do it more as the season goes along and i go back to the borough article i wrote the first nine games of that year first eight games of that year he was terrible no nine games first nine games here he's bad last four a flip switch a flip switched and everybody remembers him getting hit in that usf game getting laid out or ucf game getting laid out and says oh that's where it changed mm -mm, that's not where it changed it changed four games before that played two sec games and then played a cup played an fcs opponent i think and then and then ucf and he threw for over 300 yards and all of them averaged like 10 yards a throw for those four he'd been averaging like six yards a throw up until then um something happened and a and a switch flipped somewhere around the bye week is right around where that's where that flip switched, and it just carried on to the next year. Um, so again, I go back, look at Joe Brady's history when he left LSU. I don't think that was Brady. I think that was Burrow. And the question I have is, how much time are you willing to invest in a guy like Richardson, who quite honest, who won the job? Right? It's not as though he and Kitna have been battling side by side for the job. I mean, Richardson's been the starter since day one, so he's won the job. And Miller so has and Miller back in the spring. 
Yeah. So if Kitten is overtaking him or if Miller gets back and he's healthy and he overtakes him, that's fine. But you got to you got to expect that what they're seeing in practice is enough to continue throwing him out there, because if it wasn't, you'd bring the other guy in. I, again, you don't have any loyalty to these guys. These aren't guys you recruited. I think you play the best guys and and let them go. So, um, look, I think Richardson's the best shot. You got to know what you have in him by the end of the year, because next year you got to start thinking about, you know, if, if Richardson is gone either to the NFL or he's transferring because you've decided to move on or something like that, then you got Max Brown in there at quarterback, or you've got, you know, Jack Miller in there at quarterback <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, you better make sure you've made the right choice because if Anthony Richardson transfers to like Auburn and all of a sudden starts lighting things up like Cam Newton, boy, you, you imagine the noise got loud when Napier called a timeout at the end of the first half the other day <laughs> to help uh, help Missouri get a timeout. Can you imagine if that were to happen, if Richardson were to transfer somewhere within the SEC and all of a sudden turn into the guy we thought he could be? Oof. All right, we're not going there, Will. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be tearing it up for Florida at some point. There we go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, all right. There we go. Yeah, that'll do it right here for this episode of Gators Breakdown. We'll um, Florida LSU week, big game, a drama-filled game. Uh, you never know what you're getting with this little rivalry here uh, between these two schools. And about as evenly matched, I think, you know, as we sit here on Monday coming into this game, about as evenly, evenly matched uh, as I can remember uh, the, the, these two teams being in, in quite some time. So it's always dramatic. We'll, uh, we'll be back next Monday to, to break it all down, but I'm sure – you guys that over at um, Read and Reaction will be previewing it all up this week. Absolutely. We got a new episode of Stand Up and Holler Up, one up today. Um, also have have an LSU preview later in the week. I already mentioned the Chris Leak stuff, but I'm working on something specific for that. And then, uh, you know, next week we'll probably have a breakdown. Since both of these coaches have great Southern accents, we're going to break down, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, which one of them is truly Southern and, uh, you know, which one has the better Southern accent. That'll probably be part of a feature for uh, – for for this week at some point along the way. If you need an extra judge, I'm I'm pre- I'm pretty good. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm set up pretty well for that one. I was gonna say who who's got a better Southern accent, Gator Dave or Brian Kelly? That's the that's the uh, the trivia question for Twitter this week. We'll ask my family. <laughs> I gotta say, buddy, you do have a Southern accent, but it is not a Napier Southern accent. I know I've gotten like, better. I mean, it's still there, but. Uh... I don't know. I, I like Billy Napier in a lot of ways, but man, are his press conferences boring. <laughs> like, it was 15 minutes today of just like, wow, he didn't say a single thing. He didn't divulge a single thing. I'm kind of envious, but I'm kind of bored too. Like, <laughs> like give me something, man, something. I'll ask him about recruiting. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful, Dave. Be careful. Hey, we ask him next Monday. It might be some good news along with that one, so we'll see. Hey, yeah, a little tease there. Little tease there. Little tease there. All right, there we go. Will we get anything else, man? No, nah, man. Just appreciate everybody out there. Um, it's it's fun. We're halfway through, dude. Like, oh, no, we, only, we only get twelve of these every year, and you know, you and I get so wrapped up in the content that it goes so fast. Yep. And uh, I hope everybody's enjoying it because, look, I mean, four and two, it'd be great if we were six and zero. Oh. It'd be great if Anthony Richardson was out there lighting things up. But um, building is part of the fun. And I can't imagine being an Alabama fan. That would just suck. You're sitting there like, you know, you, oh, I mean, it's great. It's great that they win for five years in a row. But in some capacity, like, you know, the 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 fact that you have an advantage and that everybody can can sort of point at it and go, yeah, you have that advantage. We, we'd be I mean, I don't know. I, it'd be great from a content standpoint. That's for sure. But, uh, you know, it's sort of the same thing over and over and over again there. I like the build. I like the not knowing what's going to happen. I like the 
the unexpectedness part of it. And so, uh, you know, I love these rebuilds from the standpoint of seeing Florida get to where I want Florida to be. I just hope these rebuilds work better than the last couple of rebuilds. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully that's what ends up happening here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, there you go. Will Miles, you can find him at a site, readandreaction.com on YouTube at readandreaction. There with Nick Newton. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.